0: It's my responsibility, like I view it as my responsibility to do my absolute best with uh, the resources that I have and the opportunities that I have.
1: Hey everyone, my name is Jack Kavanagh and you are very welcome to the Only Human Podcast. Today I'm joined on the podcast by Gary McGowan, or as many will know him, Skinny Gaz. Gary is a 25-year-old health and fitness enthusiast, the co-owner of Triage Method, and currently a medical student. With various practical qualifications in personal training, nutrition, strength and conditioning, as well as a bachelor's in physiotherapy, Gary is interested in how individuals can live their lives in the most healthful way possible. Beyond exercise, nutrition, and the behaviours we typically associate with health, he has also got a keen interest in philosophy and psychology as it relates to the pursuit of a good life. All in all, Gary's interests convene around a common theme, how to live well. Enjoy. Gary McGowan. You are very welcome to the Only Human podcast. How are you?
0: I'm excellent. Thank you very much for having me, Jack.
1: I'm delighted. So tell us, where are you coming to uh, or speaking to us from today?
0: From Cork. So I'm living in Cork at the moment, uh, a place called Maryborough Hill, close enough to Douglas there in Cork. Um, so I'm studying in Cork, so I'm actually from Kerry myself, so missing missing the kingdom at the moment.
1: <laughs> have you have you got the chance to be back there much over the last couple of months with all that's been going on?
0: Yeah, so I, I didn't go back to, to Kerry for maybe four months or so, but I've been back uh, a couple of times now since kind of lockdown lifted and things have eased, eased up, up a bit, so I was just down this weekend um, and yeah, it's always nice. I'm, I'm from Killarney myself, so most
1: beautiful part of the country. So couldn't be happier to get home. Yeah, you have to get it in there, don't you? Um, the plug is important. <laughs> um, so, so most people will know you, uh, or be familiar with, um, skinny gas or maybe a triage method, which is the company that you run. Um, but you've got, uh, a few strings to the bow. Um, And I wanted to sort of give people a a more global sense of your journey um, up until now, and maybe a little bit about where you're going. And to do that might actually start by how your parents ended up meeting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've never been asked this on a podcast before. Um, But yeah, yeah, so, so my parents definitely have an interesting story, particularly my father, because basically, um, like my dad is from Derry himself. So when he was young, uh, all he wanted to do was basically become a professional footballer. That was all he wanted to do. And that, that dream had been going really, really well. Um, up until he was about 17. So he was playing for Leicester, Leicester Football Club um, over in, in England. So he was playing football in England, every young fella's dream, you know. Um, but basically at the time, um, when you're looking at kind of, if, if anyone is aware of the troubles from kind of the 1960s to the 1990s in Northern Ireland, it was quite a quite a volatile situation. Um, in terms of what was going on, and he was living in an area called the Craigan in Derry, uh, which would have been very much the this close to the centre of the troubles in Derry. And as part of that, um, he was actually arrested, falsely arrested, um, and charged for with the murder of uh, of a British soldier. Um, So he was falsely charged despite being, you know, he's a professional footballer. He had never been engaged in any sort of political or Republican activities or anything like that. But because of where he lived and the age profile and the gender profile, etc., the police decided to, the RUC at the time, decided to effectively pick up this young man along with three other young men, same age, um, to charge them with this, with this crime. So, so yeah, that, that basically led him down the path. I'm skipping lots of steps obviously here that basically ended his football career, unfortunately forced him to go on the run, um, from those charges rather than serving the, the, whatever 20 years in prison that he would have served. Um, he did serve a couple of months, but basically the long story short, they went on the run. He moved down South. Eventually, um, he did end up meeting my mother, um, down in Kerry one weekend and he ended up, deciding that he would, that he would stay. So that's effectively the the long story short of how my parents met. And uh, that's exactly, that's how I came about, I guess.
1: Yeah. And and here you are now. Here I am. (laughs) Um, No, but the reason I ask that is I think it, having a parent go through an experience like that has to give you uh, an incredibly unique perspective on Life and on justice and on uh, freedom and on all of these kind of things. Also, what it means to struggle and to have gratitude, I suppose, in in many in many ways. And that element of gratitude in particular is something that is a thread that that runs through a lot of what you do and seems to be foundational in sort of setting you up for balance and wellness in your life. Um, is that a fair thing to say?
0: Yeah, I think so. Like, I think, like, obviously a lot of it is just subconscious, but I think obvi- like from a young age and, and growing up and listening to my father and stuff, I was obviously quite aware all along that, okay, your life can actually just be stripped from you um, in a moment. And it's kind of as simple as that. You know, your whole life can change. Uh, the whole trajectory of your life can change. And as a result, I think that I think how that manifests like right now for me, uh, one thing in particular is, is the whole concept and that you kind of alluded to it, the whole concept of not identifying as any one single thing, and instead considering yourself a whole person. Because if we think about the context of my father, let's say, if he like whether he did or whether he didn't, if he considered himself to be solely a footballer and that was all his identity rested on and his whole sense of purpose, et cetera, then when it comes to that being taken away from you, you've suddenly lost your whole identity and your whole sense of purpose. So that's Mm -hmm. effectively why if you encounter me on social media or anything, I'm I'm not really one to be like oh this is exactly what I am like I'm Gary and, and I'm a I'm a future doctor because that's what lots of people do they kind of say things like like if they're if they have a particular career they define themselves as their career whereas I just look at myself as a whole person with a variety of different interests. And if any of those respective interests were taken away from me, it wouldn't significantly affect my quality of life because I've tried to uh, make it a little bit more decentralized and and distribute my efforts a little bit more rather than focusing on just one thing. So that's one element of, of, I guess, how that has influenced me. But but, but more to your point of gratitude, I think I've always been aware again of that fact that your life can just be taken away from you um, and that some people have to live with um, struggles and hardships that are absolutely no fault of their own. And that kind of gives gives me a sort of perspective where it's my responsibility, like I view it as my responsibility to do my absolute best with uh, the resources that I have and the opportunities that I have. Um, and that's kind of like my, my general philosophy of life is just to, to do what you can really well, try to be competent at whatever it is that you do. Um, and it's very likely that that is going to help you to get forward in life. So that's definitely something that has has always been on my mind. And I'm definitely very grateful for the position that I'm in, in terms of like, you know, being born in, let's say Killarney County Kerry in 1995 is very, very different to being born in, in Derry or Belfast or somewhere in 1961. And I think something to note I think for people in general is that very often when we look at the hardships that people experience we look to countries abroad and we look to history but it's important to realize that you know a hardship is very much still a modern thing and it's very much close to home and I think you only have to go as far as 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 Northern Ireland to to begin to realize how recent and the struggles of people have been and I think exposing yourself to to those to, to people in more difficult situations is just generally a beneficial thing. Um, and that's something I try to do quite frequently as well. So so yeah, there's some there's some thoughts.
1: Yeah, I think that necessity of exposing yourself to uncomfortable realities of life yeah. is so, so important. Um, you know, the the social media world that so many people find themselves in Really existing in, and that forms their whole lens of the world at the moment. Um, and for for such a, a big portion of the younger generation, um, it's fueled off confirmation bias and off a narrow lens of of beliefs, depending on who they expose them to themselves to. And then, for example, if it's all happy, clappy, highlight reel type stuff, when when real hardship is, is comes upon them in their own lives, or in the life of somebody that they know, that is incredibly hard to grapple with. Um, and so, I think regular and graded exposure to the realities of life is something that we should all really endeavour to to take on. Um, yeah, no, I, com- I completely agree. To scale back, to scale back a little bit. Um, Really you're in in many ways what, what you do is you pursue knowledge and, and share it with others in an effort to enhance their livelihoods. And and that's in everything that that you do across the board. And that initially started when you moved from possibly spending a bit too much time gaming as a teenager and in getting into a uh, jump style dance, yeah, <laughs> um, how, how was that kind of your starting point for developing an interest in coaching or helping others?
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, like I, I often think about this and like, I'm not one to, read too much into particular events because I think it would be very easy for me to like look back at particular events from my childhood or my or adolescence and say, this is exactly what led me to this point. Whereas the reality is that life is mostly random. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of randomness that comes yeah. into life. Um, but but there are definitely some some features of, of my teenage years that have kind of shaped how I got here because um, like you alluded to, you know, I was very much into, you know, Call of Duty and all that sort of stuff when I was in my teens. You know, I wasn't a... I wasn't a fit individual by any means. I couldn't even do a single push up until I was, until I was 16. Um, and basically I was in, I was in, I was, I was never the, the the fit guy or anything. However, like I had always grown up with uh, uh, with an active childhood. You know, I was always active. I grew up on a housing estate in Killarney and anyone who grows up in kind of like a housing estate where there's lots of kids you, similar age, you know, you get up to you, your usual stuff. You're playing soccer all the time. You're climbing walls, you're climbing trees, you're fighting each other, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I had an active childhood. I wasn't someone who was, w- was inactive, mm-hmm. but you know, I wasn't necessarily interested in fitness. Um, but then when it came to, My teenage years, I was actually involved in um, the No Name Club. I don't know if you know what that is, but the No Name Club is basically a club for teenagers that's uh, basically designed to encourage people to have fun without alcohol. And that's something that definitely benefited me quite a bit because it just got us like doing lots of different things that I might never have done. And that kind of led me to, you know, just trying out a lot of different stuff. You know, there was like jump. I don't think this was directly associated with the No Name Club, but I got into doing like the jump style dance, which was quite, you know, popular at the time because it had been in some music videos and stuff. And me and a friend of mine just started doing it. And we started teaching ourselves. But then what we started to do was teach others, you know, and we started teaching classes and stuff like that. And I've, I always really enjoyed that. I, I've always enjoyed kind of like uh, passing on knowledge to others and helping others to, to do things. It's always something I've enjoyed. Um, and that's definitely something that, that shaped my experience going forward. Um, but that basically led me then to event, well, it kind of led me. I did transition year then. And as part of transition year, you you basically do the Goshka Award. And as part of the Goshka Award, you have to do something associated with uh, physical training or or exercise of some sorts. So I basically signed up for a gym because I thought that, hey, if you sign up for a gym, you don't have to join a club or anything. They'll sign off on it for you and it's all good. Um, So I just started going to the gym and that basically just led me down the path of engaging in my own training, and kind of constantly being curious as to why we were doing things, um, and not being satisfied with kind of bad explanations, at least long-term, you know, um, and that kind of dissatisfaction with bad explanations and wanting better explanations for things and helping out friends who were trying to kind of pursue the same path, that basically led me down the path of eventually getting interested in more things like exercise science and physiotherapy and coaching, etc., and and that's how we got here.
1: Amazing. I love it, and yeah, you're. you're, I would be of the same opinion that like it's it's no one singular event, but it's a concoction of many different things and so many influences and and the subtle thing that was said by X Y Z people, um, that that all lead us down the paths that we're on, and um, and so coming out of school, you you head into exercise, science, and. And really develop into, I suppose you're developing your knowledge around physiology and training regimes and so on, and decide to pursue um that in a more uh, sort of to the next level when when you went on to do physio then.
0: yeah, so so basically, I, I did a year of exercise science because my initial intent, well throughout my my teen years, I was basically, planning to be a pilot, that was all I wanted to do. Um, But then I saw the the 60 grand that you had to pay to do the pilot course or something and I was like, oh God, that's kind of putting me off it. So then I was going to do aeronautical engineering. But then at the last minute in sixth year, I was after getting really into the gym and asking those questions, like I said, so I decided to study exercise science. But after the first year of studying exercise science, I was basically at a point where I thought that I was interested enough in the subject and the respective subjects involved within that, that... I would go on reading and studying those things in my own time anyway, because it was basically my kind of hobby interest, regardless of whether I was studying it formally. So I decided that why not take something that's maybe in a slightly similar field and get a professional qualification. And that's kind of what led me down the physiotherapy path. And from there, again, like the interest kind of broadened. Again, I was like, right, I'm interested in this physiotherapy stuff, but it's not just related to exercise and sports in terms of like athletes and fit people. I started to get quite interested in the clinical side of things. And as I, as I got more interested in the clinical side of things, I decided eventually, um, hey, why not, why not pursue um, medicine and, and yeah, you can kind of see that there's a trend here that I just, I just kind of get interested in things and, and, and take the next step. So hopefully this will be the last step and I won't want any more degrees, but, but yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So through that time and, and we'll, we'll come to that maybe next step, but, um, through all that time you had started training Uh, others. And that was sort of where triage method as a company was born. Um, What is, what is your mission or ambition for what triage does for people?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, like we've, we've kind of had a couple of like taglines over the years, but I mean, taglines just don't really kind of do it, do they? You need to, need to broaden it out a bit. But fundamentally our, our mission statement is to make, um, make like the best kind of, evidence-based information um, easily accessible for to people. And that's not necessarily direct to consumer in that like a lot of the time, it can be quite challenging to deliver like really comprehensive information to someone who's just starting the gym because they might need that information. We do a bit of that, but over time, what we're effectively trying to do is move the company towards educating personal trainers and fundamentally bridging the gap between frontline personal training and formal healthcare, because that's that's fundamentally what we want to do. We basically want to um, have a business that somehow um, facilitates that relationship Uh, So obviously like me pursuing medicine and stuff obviously helps with that because you're able to kind of make the ties between, right, you know, here's this this health condition, let's say, here's all we know about resistance training, weight training, um, diet, et cetera, and how that helps people. And here's how it can actually be specified for this specific population um, or preventing this illness or whatever. So I suppose that's definitely a big area of interest for me and and something that we'll probably move more and more towards with triage over time. Uh, But ultimately it is really just about helping people to take control of their lives, um, to build self e- self-efficacy, self to build resilience. And that's not just in the sense of physical resilience, but in the sense of if you have more information accessible to you, you understand how to apply that information and you understand like what that means for the way that you live your life. Like that can be empowering, um, provided someone has the resources to be able to put it into practice. So, so yeah, they're all the things that I guess we're trying to do because I suppose the fitness industry in general, when you look at the kind of level of like not or the level of information that's put out, it's generally low quality. And I think one of the barriers to personal training um, being regarded as like frontline healthcare, which is what I would like it to be in an ideal world, uh, one of the barriers there is that there's basically no standards in personal training. So a lot of personal trainers are. Uh, undereducated for the job that they do um or as in relative to a standard that I think could be could be attained um and it's not necessarily a fault of their own because again there are no educational standards the qualifying bodies generally don't give people a fantastic education and as a result people kind of end up just doing for their clients whatever they would do themselves in the gym um, and that's what a lot of what you see on gym floors so, so yeah, I think that by raising the standard of personal training, I think there's a greater opportunity for a relationship between formal healthcare and personal training, and I think that's ultimately for the good when it comes to um, tackling the the problems of of modern life effectively, because a lot of the diseases that are you know burdens of modern life um, are related fundamentally to. Uh, too much, basically too much food and and too little exercise, um, and many other factors. But, but yeah, I think personal training can, can play a key role in that equation.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it all comes back to this concept of that is emerging more and more and more of integrated and, and lifestyle medicine, um, as, as an emerging trend in terms of how healthcare is going to develop because so much of healthcare at the moment is really focused on sick care rather than on the maintenance of and promotion of health and the development of resilience within health. And I know that something that that you're well versed on and love to speak about is this idea of anti-fragility and we can talk about it in terms of our our physical bodies but, but really it extends to our mental and our emotional lives as well and if you look and consider spirituality in terms of meaning, purpose, value systems and so on it, it can very much be applied as a concept to all of those areas. And so when I, when I lay that out as a topic of anti-fragility, um, what comes up for you on that?
0: Yeah. So in terms of anti-fragility itself, for people who I guess don't understand the concept, like there's, there's, if you think of a, a physical system, right, you think of, uh, robustness okay so if you've got some sort of pipe and you say that pipe is very robust it means that it's able to kind of maintain its normal state when you put stressors onto it however if that pipe was anti-fragile it would mean that the pipe actually got stronger in response to uh, stressors that were put on it. And that's often not the case when it comes to uh, simple machines like that, but it is the case when it comes to humans and a lot of qualities and when it comes to humans. Because basically, the one of the unique things about us being biological systems is that we have the capacity to adapt to stressors that are imposed upon us. So, for example, when you do exercise, uh, there is basically, if if you were to smash your knee or smash your thigh with a hammer and just be hammering down on the bones and you keep hitting it, you go way past the threshold and there's no potential for adaptation because you've exceeded the potential for adaptation. However, um, if you're within a certain uh, level of force, so let's say you're doing exercise and you're constantly putting force through the bones and then you rest from the exercise and you give yourself the chance to adapt, you basically end up with stronger bones than you had prior. It's not just that they recover to baseline, but they end up getting stronger over time as stressors are imposed upon them. So that's an example of anti-fragility because they're not fragile, they're not breaking down, they're actually building up in response to stressors. So I think that is something that, um, and by the way, that's, a, that's a, a term coined by Nassim Taleb and and, his, and in his book, Anti-Fragility, he gives examples of how this applies to countless different um, areas of life from, from business, finance, to to things like you said, spirituality or religion, um, and health, of course, is, is one that's really important here. Um, but yeah, in terms of what how, what comes to mind when I think of anti fragility, I basically think of something kind of that you mentioned earlier, and it's kind of like a philosophy of graded exposure. So basically, like in my own life, if I see something as being um, a barrier to what I could potentially do, I don't view that as being like a fixed point. I view it as something that um, with sufficient exposure and with sufficient uh Development or teaching or education or whatever that I could surpass that, so I never view it as as something that is that is being fixed that ha- that is fixed. Um, so yeah, like that's that's one of the ways that I look at it. Exercise is obviously the best example because effectively, when you impose stressors on the body through exercise, the body basically overcompensates and you become uh, more resilient than you were previously. Um, and that, again, is a, an example of, of anti-fragility. You can think of it in terms of even even nutrition. It can apply to sometimes because, you know, if you if you think of uh, something like fasting, let's say, if you think about fasting, it could be viewed as a, as a stressor that would be uh, or fasting or, or caloric restriction, you could just say just reducing your calories, you could view that as something that's actually a stressor that could kill you because if you don't eat for too long, then you're gonna die. However, if you're doing something like, right, I, I don't eat for 16 hours and then I eat for eight hours and that actually allows me to manage my overall calorie intake long-term, then that can be an example potentially of antifragility because that can have health uh, conferring properties because it might be helping you to maintain a healthy body weight long-term, for example. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's kind of some of the things that come to mind. Did you have any kind of specific areas that you wanted to delve into on that?
1: No, I, I, I think you've covered <laughs> it quite well because as a, as a general philosophy in in terms of developing, building resilience, resili- when we, when we think from a reference point of developing anti-fragility, Within that, we develop resilience and and resilience to the stressors that might otherwise cause distress or upset. They rather be instead become uh, eustress, which is well-being enhancing stressors. And so much of that is actually about the framing that we think about it um, through and and our approach to the stressors that we experience in our lives. So um, I love that um, style of approach. So with your medical studies at the moment, and you're heading into year two uh, of medicine now, what do you envisage going forward? Because I know that um, previously you've talked about decisions that you've made based on the person you want to be and that you would like your kids to to know. Um, and so medicine, studying medicine is a part of that journey, um, towards becoming that person. And so how does it fit into that idea or ideal that you've mapped out for yourself and who, or how is it that you would like to be in the future? Yeah. So I mean, that maps, maps to your day to day.
0: Yeah. So I suppose like, Like currently I'm, I'm kind of open-minded in terms of the specifics as to where I go with medicine. But I think like generally I do have some guiding lights. I think like my, my primary interests at the moment would probably be potentially going into either cardiology or neurosurgery. Um, They'd be the two things that I, that I would be interested in. And I'm definitely like Oh, definitely would like to uh, work work as a doctor absolutely and work in those respective fields and you know become competent in those respective fields while also continuing to um, have triage uh, working building up triage moving towards that that goal as we discussed earlier of kind trying, trying to develop personal trainers and um, and obviously, taking the lessons that I learned along the way in medicine, and trying to to do that. So I suppose, yeah, I, d- I definitely do want to to become competent in medicine. Um, I wouldn't be wouldn't be doing it otherwise. Um, but again, come back to me in three years, I might change my mind. <laughs> but but yeah, like mm. what what you said there is, is is really important because that is one of the things that guides me. I do think about it a lot. Where like. I basically want to live up to my own ideal. Like what sort of person do you want to be, Gary? That's what I ask myself. Like, what person, what type of person do you want to be? Um, and is that per would that person behave in the way that you're behaving at the moment? Because I, I think like what you don't want to do is to adopt a single person that you I- idolize and just copy everything that they did, okay? I think that can be useful in some cases, but what I try to do instead is I'll look at, qualities from different people um, and say that, uh, okay, I really like the way that person does that. I'd like to to be able to, to reflect that in my own life. So for example, someone might have extreme discipline in the way that they live their life. And I'm like, that's incredible. I look up to that person. I want to try to emulate that. But that person might also not be a great communicator or not be very compassionate to other people. Whereas I might say, I actually view those as valuable qualities too. So I'd like to, you know, find someone else who I can kind of pick their brains from and try to, to emulate them. So so that's the way I think about it is, I think about who I look up to, I think about what values I think are important in terms of living a good life, living a virtuous life. Um, and then I basically try to, to live up to them so that, you know, when my son or daughter uh, looks to their dad in 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it is, that they say, oh yeah, you know what, I'm actually gonna, I'm doing my homework tonight because that's what dad would do, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I, I, maybe that's just me trying to satisfy my own ego, but it's it's something that that I try to live up to anyway.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's commendable, and I think like having values and traits that you aspire to or towards um, allows you to make more informed, more concrete decisions in the day to day, and it gives it gives you guideposts. Um, as to your behavior as you've said. Um, it's one of the things that I do as a foundational piece with a lot of my clients is that we get them to think of three to five people that they admire and make a list of three to five traits or behaviors or, or things that they admire about those people. And within that list um, that you end up with between 9 and 15 traits or or behaviors or values that you admire within those people, um, you can pick out the core values and they then become real guideposts for your day-to-day behavior. Um, and when you couple that with the things that excite you um, or make you feel alive or spark joy or interest or or satisfaction or fulfillment in you, that's when you're on like a really good track for being able to live a purposeful and meaningful life on a, on a, on a more long-term basis. Um, because when you commit to showing up well in your day-to-day life, that adds up over time and you become, as we've spoken about, first of all, that bit more resilient and then more anti-fragile because you see the balance in things rather than being attached, as so many people are, to passions. And um, when passions actually um the root of that word is to suffer. And when we when we just fleetingly pursue things that are we're passionate about um without any sort of broader guideposts for our behavior or our way of being, um, we wonder why we crash and burn so often. Um, (laughs) so I, I, I love that, um, way of, of thinking about it and it it falls very close to, to my own thoughts on it. Um, and, and within that then there's, there's a huge amount around, and I, I know you, you, love to read philosophy and, and psychology as well and and around the idea of of self-determination in all of this, because essentially what you've talked about is your process of self-determination and of of showing up in a way daily that on a daily basis and looking back you can be proud of. Okay. Um, and so what do you think about this idea of self-determination versus free will?
0: Self-determination versus free will. Could you give me your definitions <laughs> so that I can be clear? Even <laughs> even just your, your practical definitions, especially for someone listening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of like self-determination, I, I really think that from my my own lens anyway, it's, it's, cause and effect. So um, it is us taking actions in in alignment with, with what we're trying to create, who we're trying to be, where we're trying to go and so on, rather than, I suppose, aimlessly wandering and, and accepting what life might throw at us. So it's creating more of a reality that we desire. Um, rather than, than this idea of free will, which my understanding of it anyway is, is that, uh, we have little to no control at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and life just happens and there's a balance there as well. I think the extent to which we exert ourselves towards something that's meaningful for us and others, um, is important because, life is going to happen regardless and um, it's been my experience i've seen that in my own life i have very strong evidence of life happening so. um in my own life um and despite that it's what we do with those times and and that determines what happens so um maybe i've explained
0: yeah yeah, no, I th- <laughs> I think that was, no, I think that was good. The, the reason I, I asked you to define them is because, like, very often, like, people get into these kind of boring, like, philosophy discussions that are just, like, so dry and not actually helpful for people. Because, like, what, like you said, I, I like to read philosophy, but one of my, the re- the reason I like reading philosophy is practical philosophy. Um, And a lot of ancient philosophy was effectively practical philosophy. Whereas if you read kind of like more modern philosophy and it's like philosophy of language and stuff, it's like, yeah, interesting, you know, academic interesting, but doesn't help uh, Jack wake up in the morning and decide how to live his life better, you know? So that's the reason I'm interested in philosophy. And when it comes to discussions of of free will and the, the kind of idea that humans simply do not have um, free will. I, I think that's just a useless way to, to think about living your life. And I'm pretty sure there has actually been some research on when you tell people that they don't have free will, they actually end up making worse decisions because they're just like, Hey, there's no free will. Whereas that's actually a, fa- a faulty way of thinking about the whole thing anyway. But anyway, as I said, I'm all about practical philosophy. And in terms of like that discussion of, of self-determination, as you said, like one of the, um, areas of philosophy that, that I quite like and that I like reading about quite a bit is, is stoic philosophy um and if mm. you and if you read stoic philosophy it's it's pretty much the perfect example of a practical philosophy that is designed to help a person live a good life. There's actually a great book called A, Gu- a Guide to the Good Life by William B. Irvine, who's a, a Stoic scholar, um, modern Stoicism. Um, but but he writes all about all the ancient texts and everything. Uh, but but yeah, that, that's why I like Stoicism is because Stoicism is effectively like one of the things related to Stoicism and tying it to the self-determination um, context is that you should be very particular about how you behave in the world. And you should not only plan in advance, but you should meditate on it after and reflect on it and ask yourself, uh, was the way that I behaved, was the way that I responded uh, in terms of like, through speech or through your, your emotional reaction or how you felt. To reflect on all that stuff and to ask yourself, was that in accordance with the values that you're trying to um, emulate? And obviously, they're referring to the Stoic virtues, but you might have your own virtues that that you're interested in. So, like personally, what I try to do is is to think about my behavior in advance and how I will behave in a particular situation in in terms of those virtues, but also in the moment if you're making a decision and also afterwards when you have made a decision or you've done something. So for example, if you were on a bus and... Uh, right. So I was on a bus, I was on a bus this morning, um, and I was coming back from the gym and an old lady got onto the, to the bus and she had to stand for the entirety of the bus ride while I sat because there was no free seats. And I didn't think much of it in the moment. I did see her, but I wasn't thinking about it. And yeah, I was on my phone and stuff. And then I leave and then, yeah, it's forgotten. Whereas what I would what I like to do is to think about at the end of the day, right. Why did you do that? You know, you know that that wasn't in accordance with your values. You know that you should have actually given up your seat there for that lady so she could sit down because you're fitter and you're younger, et cetera. You should have been, you should have given her your seat. Um, so that's just one example of like the type of, the type of way that I would work through these problems in terms of trying to reflect on them and trying to move closer and closer towards embodying the virtues that you think are important or the values that you think are important. And the reality is that, there's, you're never going to reach perfection. And that's why I kind of like it, because there's constantly something that you can do better. So it might be the case that, you know, I feel like I've done lots of things well, but I actually spent two hours scrolling Instagram. And all I was doing was just giving myself short-term reward by flicking through other people's stories and and just looking at memes and doing nothing productive that moved me towards my goals. And I was just in a position where it was purely short-term, short-term reward that I that I was getting out of the task. So in that case, what I would then do is reflect on that, try to come up with some sort of strategy to prevent that in the future. And the next time it does pop up, I can kind of reflect on, hey, do you remember how you felt the last time that this happened? Are you gonna do that again? Do you wanna feel like that? And then I might say, no, actually that feeling is not worth it. Let's move on. So it's kind of like a way of, of using rationality to guide your behavior um, but obviously still respecting the fact that a lot of life is just random there are lots of things that are out of your control you can't completely suppress your stress response you know if you're stressed in a situation and you do something wrong you might have just been you were stressed you responded you you know you shouted at someone you probably shouldn't have but it just happened there's always an element of of mistakes that we make. And I think you have to be able to accept those, meditate on them, reflect on them, and try to see how you can modify your behavior then going forward. And I mean, when it comes to like stoicism in general, like if you look at like modern, like cognitive behavioral therapy and the type of technique techniques that they used for, for, for people with anxiety and depression, let's say, um, you see very similar things reflected in stoicism, which is why I like it as a, as a kind of a, a practical philosophy for helping someone to live a good life.
1: Yeah, so much of it is about intentionality and that that balance between um intention and then reflection is is powerful for anybody to apply in any part of their life. Um so I wanna turn the or pivot a small little bit to to go back to some of the the area that you spend a lot of your time, which is upscaling and educating and training people in the areas of really improving, first of all, their physical fitness, their performance, their body composition. And obviously that percolates on to um, other elements of their life. Um, But if we're speaking to an audience that or, or to an individual that might be listening, and they're stuck, and they're not sure how to begin on that journey of actually moderating um, food um, and and laying just the basics for improving um, their their baseline health. Um, what are the starting points? I, I some of them for me would include uh, really looking at your sleep um, as a fundamental piece, um, looking at uh, elements of your diet, and um, not only going by I suppose the the recommendations, but uh, tuning in to to what feels good for you as an individual. Um, but but I'm going to let you take the lead on this because um, is there is there basic um is there a basic approach that you take starting out with with new clients who maybe are quite new to the area of fitness or taking their first steps in the in the way to improve their health
0: yeah absolutely so i mean like one of the things to get when it comes to the kind of pursuit of health and fitness is that especially for someone at the beginning so much of your results will come from just a couple of very simple changes the difficulty is sustaining those changes and i think if people were uh, are starting on this path if you if you can get the idea that there are just a few simple things that can make a, a massive difference you'll be a winner because one of the problems is that what people do when they start off is they want to have a real complicated plan that details everything they should do which can seem better on paper because there's more guidelines there's more specifics etc but the reality is that implementing that is very difficult and very often it doesn't set people up for maintaining that for one two five ten years you know which is ultimately the goal especially when we think about health health is all about multiple decades of exposures. So if you're thinking about cardiovascular disease, you're thinking about what happened in the 40 to 50 years before this person had a heart attack. You know, it was never the one meal, it was never the one year diet that they had. It's very often exposures over a long period of time. So as a result, if you can think about making small changes over time, that's, it has such a huge impact on your, on your health in the long term. So there are certainly a number of pillars that you can kind of uh, take care of. So when it comes to someone's someone's exercise, if someone is not exercising, I'm very concerned with them trying to start with something small that they can achieve a couple of times per week and then build it up. And th- I mean, that could be as simple as, right, you currently take, or you're currently really sedentary, you know, you don't um, go for many steps per day, let's say, uh, you're you know you mostly live a sedentary lifestyle work at an office etc and it doesn't seem like you even go for a walk right so for someone like that we might say right let's try and actually just track your steps for a week let's see where your steps are at and we might see all right the person's only taken two to three thousand steps per day that's quite low and we might say right let's try to get that to five to six thousand per day something really simple you know it doesn't have to be tracking either it could just be the case that okay you don't even go for a walk could you go for 20 minute walk after after your lunch each day or something along those lines, you know, um, or something similar. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be walking, it could be swimming, it could be using some sort, of other sort of exercise equipment, whatever it is, something really light. Um, and, and basically what, what we're doing there is just setting a foundation of, is your light physical activity in place? Because that's so simple for most people that it's just worth having it in place. From there, what we're thinking about is, right, there are multiple different other types of exercise, but what do you actually enjoy? Okay. So if someone does not enjoy weight training at all, I'm not going to get them to do five days of weight training per week. I might say, look, weight training is really important for long-term health in terms of muscle mass and preserving your strength into old age and, you know, stopping the decline of, of bone mass and osteoporosis, etc. Um, So it's really, really important. It reduces your risk of death. So could you do maybe two days for me if we just did 30-minute workouts? And most people will buy into that. Most people will say, yeah, absolutely. You know, I can do I can do two days a week. That's not a big deal. So for that person, cool. Let's get the two days a week in place. Let's keep that consistent over time. And then let's actually find something that you enjoy to make up the bulk of your exercise. So Someone might say to me, you know, um, Gary, I actually, I really like um, cycling. I used to go out a lot with my dad when I was younger but then i kind of stopped when i went to college so i'd like to take up cycling again and i also like swimming because there's a pool nearby and i have a membership so it could be the case that we get most of that person's exercise in through those modalities and then for the purpose of health if this the person is engaging and you know they're they're cycling and they're swimming and they're weight training and they're and they're getting their basic physical activity like walking in each day i'm happy that they're in a good place you know they've started off on the path so realize that when it comes to health There's no particular thing that you need to do, but there are pillars. And those pillars would be getting in your kind of aerobic exercise uh, regularly. Generally, people say, or the recommendations would say, trying to get in like 150 minutes per week of aerobic exercise, a kind of moderate intensity. So that's the type of exercise where you're feeling short of breath, but you can kind of still talk, you know, um, you can speak sentences, but it will be kind of hard to hold a conversation, but you could still hold a light conversation. So that that's things like, you know, going for a jog or doing a light bit of cycling or going for a hike or doing a swim or whatever. So it, those recommendations are probably higher than most people would realize. So what I would generally say to people is that, right, the benefits uh, are the recommendations are 150 minutes. It does go beyond that. So like you still do get more benefits as you push beyond that. But if you're currently getting zero, then 30 is a huge win, 60 is a huge win. And let's move up to that over time. It doesn't matter if it takes you three years to get up to doing 150 minutes per week, it's a win if you get there. Similar story with resistance training. If you don't lift weights at all, we want you to get to at least kind of two to three sessions per week working all major muscle groups. But if you start off at one session per week, and you only do that for a year, that's fine because it's moving you towards getting two to three sessions long-term. So so yeah, from an exercise perspective, they're really the things that that I would be thinking about as the main pillars. Like you said, sleep is super important. You know, um, it's you don't have to go doing any massive crazy, you know, sleep routines or sleep supplements or anything like that. Just getting to bed for seven to nine hours per night is a super good thing that you can do for your health. If you do find that, you know, you struggle to stay stay asleep or whatever. There are different things you can do, you know, having a consistent sleep and wake time, making sure the room is dark, it's cool, etc. At the moment, I know the humidity makes it real difficult to sleep. So there are so, or other additional things, but seven to nine hours of sleep is, is really your best friend. And something to be aware of there is that sleep also plays into supporting your exercise and your nutrition efforts. Because if you're not sleeping enough, what tends to happen is that you're actually hungrier and hence you're less likely to adhere to any nutrition changes that you make. You also see that people when they're sleep deprived, they tend to crave uh, more kind of processed junk foods rather than, you know, your chicken salad for lunch. So that's another way that that can kind of hinder your nutrition efforts. And then from an exercise perspective, obviously it's more difficult to exercise if you're tired all the time and you're not recovering from from your exercise as well if you're not getting your sleep in so really important as you said Jack and then the nutrition side of things again most people are probably familiar with what are good things to start doing here and some of the very basic things are look if you're consuming a lot of processed junk foods in your diet you're drinking a lot at the weekend um every weekend lots and lots of drinks you're going to the chipper etc you wanna try to cut out some of those events. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with going for a couple of pints and getting a bag of chips on a Saturday night if the rest of the week is in order for the most part. But if you're going for pints Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, you're going to the chipper each night, you're getting takeaway, and then your midweek isn't great, then that's probably not a great way to set up your diet. Generally, good diet patterns tend to feature uh, lots of fruits and vegetables. Obviously, that's something most people have, have heard. Um, dairy is another thing that lots of uh, healthy diet patterns tends to contain, uh, you know, whether or not that needs to be full fat dairy or low fat dairy. It kind of depends on the context, but but dairy can be healthful. It offers a good source of protein. Um, and then when it comes to like things like meat and protein sources, etc., generally not having a lot of processed meats is a good thing for your health. So, you know, if you're eating, like 100 or 200 grams of pepperoni every single day or sausages and rashers, et cetera. That's generally not the greatest thing. However, if you're having like lean meats, fish, you know, low-fat red meat a couple of times per week, uh, salmon, etc. They're all really great ways to get in your protein sources, as well as things like uh, eggs can be great, um, dairy, as I said, and then you can get lots of plant-based protein sources too for people who are on a plant-based diet. Um, beans and legumes and nuts all offer protein. You can also get tofu um, and other sources like that. So so yeah, there, there are... Plenty of of features of healthful diets, like you know, you you generally don't want to be getting most of your fats from saturated fat sources. Uh, so if you're having lots and lots of butter every day and lots of sausages and rashers, et cetera, probably not the best. But replacing them with uh, more unsaturated fats, like things like olive oil, nuts, seeds, um, salmon, etc., can be can be good ways of getting in more healthy fats. So, so yeah, there's there's lots of pillars of healthy nutrition. I'm not sure if you wanna get specific or is it just a general <laughs>
1: overview you know i i think one of the the really big things is is that when you're starting out the little bit that you do it makes a remarkable difference for sure um and it's that whole pareto principle of yeah. of um 20% of the things make 80% of the difference and you can get so caught up in the nuances and having the perfect plan and all of the things. Um, Whereas in so many, so many elements of life, um, the hardest thing to do is to make something that could be complex simple and simple enough that you can implement it in your own life, in your own schedule, given the demands that you have on your time and your energy. Um, so that it becomes, as you said, Gary, healthful rather than anything else. Uh, another stressor that is negative rather than a well-being enhancing stress. Um, so yeah, the, that small bit that you can do, particularly if you're entering into this field, is just going to um, be, be a huge accelerator for your overall well-being. Gary, as We come towards the end of chatting. One of the things that I always ask people to consider is, look, none of us have no idea how long we get. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on what is the impact that you would like to have, or how would you like people to remember you whenever your time does come?
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> it's
0: a tough que- it's a tough question because uh so sometimes you I read the the perspectives of some people who talk about you know the philosophy of death and stuff and they're like yeah, it's completely unreasonable and irrational to worry about what people think about you after you die. Um however, then you know other people will say, but by focusing on that, it might cause you to leave lead a better life and it might actually lead mm. to other people taking on lessons from you. Um, so yeah, there's definitely lots of different perspectives there, but personally, um, I suppose the way that I think of it is that like, when I'm gone, what I would like uh, first and foremost is for my kids and my grandkids to be able to say, you know, my dad or my granddad, you know, he did this and that inspired me then to go and do this, because basically all you're doing is you're handing down um, valuable lessons, not just through the lessons you directly teach, but the way that you actually lived, so that you know it becomes even a, a culture within your family, you could say, because you pass on those values. And I think that then, obviously, as a feed forward cycle in terms of the impact that they have on the people in their lives and their respective grandchildren, etc. So I do think about that, um, and I also think about you know more more generally. Um. Do I what? What? What would I like people to, you know, say at my funeral and things like that? And I'm like, Jesus, that's always a rough thing, <laughs> a rough thing to think about. Um. But yeah, like I mean, I would like people to think that, like, first and foremost, that I that I worked hard at everything that I did, that I tried my best all the time. Like, there are things that are just really core values for me. Um. And like to be honest, it's not. It. It's really not about being the best anything like I don't I don't I don't care about being like recommend like recognized as oh he was the best uh personal trainer ever or they were the best education company like that doesn't really matter to me and what matters more is that you embody the values and the virtues that are important so that you know Mm -hmm. this person that that i you know when the opportunity came that i stood up for someone or that you know i had the courage to stand in when things were going wrong and were was pointing out where the the wrongdoing lay um or you know like i said hard work discipline um honesty truth things like those Uh, Yeah, basically just that my values were reflected rather than just me having to say them. Because I think that is really important. I think that if you're someone who is interested in philosophy, I think one of the things you should really, really focus on is Embodying that philosophy rather than just talking about it, um, because talking about it is is pretty much futile. And and that's a, a quote from from Marcus. Or there's a quote from Marcus Aurelius, who's again one of the core Stoic philosophers, and he said, you know, waste waste no time, waste no more time talking about what a good man should be. Just be one, you know. And and that's mm-hmm. that's one of my the, the the things that I take with me each day. So probably a hypocrite now because I just spent an hour talking about myself, but <laughs> yeah, ah.
1: time to go take action. <laughs>
0: oh,
1: I love it. I love it. Gary, where is the best place for people to engage and to find out more? Yeah. So I suppose like for me personally, like you can follow me on
0: Instagram at SkinnyGaz. I do currently have my Instagram disabled because I do that every Every now and then, Um, because I don't think it's very wise to spend too much time on social media. So um, I've learned that over time. So I'm on a bit of a break at the moment, but when does this podcast come out, Jack? Uh, in the next uh, in the next week or so grant I might have it reactivated at the time <laughs> I probably should so you can <laughs> share um but yeah at Skinny guys on Instagram um, in terms of like the for people who are actually interested in health and fitness stuff the best thing you can do is follow triage method we have an Instagram page we have a podcast we have a website triage method.com um, and that's where you can find out everything that we do all of our written content YouTube content podcast content etc so if you're here for that go to triage if you just want to follow what I'm up to. We I do post some vlogs and stuff on the uh, triage YouTube channel and you can also follow my Instagram and I'll be posting there again in a couple of weeks.
1: Love it. Gary, thanks so much. It was a pleasure to have you. My pleasure, Jack. Thanks Emily for having me. If you've enjoyed this episode if you've gotten something from it if it's resonated in some way we would really appreciate if you share it with just one friend it's the best way that the podcast spreads it's the best way that we build a community of people showing each other that each one of us is both a masterpiece and a work in progress at the exact same time until next time stay well stay curious cheers